Several years ago, comedian Kevin Hart was interviewed by late-night talk show host Conan O'Brien. And during the interview, Kevin Hart shared a story about how his mom helped him get his career started as a comedian. You see, when Hart got his first apartment and he was trying to make ends meet going and speaking at comedy clubs, uh, he couldn't afford rent. So Hart's mom said, look, she agreed to help support Kevin for one year financially. For one year, I'm going to help you support financially. But she said to him, look, Kevin, if, if you can't support yourself on your own after one year, you're going to have to find another line of work. Kevin was very thankful. Now, uh, Kevin's mom also is a very religious woman, and she was always telling Kevin to pray and to read his Bible, none of which Kevin did. Well, it's coming time for the first month for Kevin to pay rent, so he calls his mom. He says, hey, mom, uh, you didn't give me the rent money this month. And in a kind of surprise, she says, well, Kevin, did you read your Bible? And, and frustrated, Kevin's like, Mom, look, I, I really don't have time to get into this right now. I don't want to talk about Bible stuff. Look, I need money. This is for real. They're going to kick me out. Where's the rent money? She said, Kevin, read your Bible, then talk to me. Frustrated and angry, says, okay, Mom, whatever. And he, and he hangs up on his mom. Okay? Another month goes by. Kevin is getting eviction notices. She calls up his mom again and says, Mom, stop playing. I need you to send the rent money. If you don't send me the rent money, I'm going to be homeless. Kevin, did you read your Bible? Mom, look, I don't want to read my Bible right now. I'm not going to have a place to read it in a minute. If you don't give me some money, I'm going to be kicked out of this apartment. And in a stern voice, she says to him over the phone, she says, look, I'm not going to do this with you, Kevin. Read your Bible and then talk to me. Several more weeks go by. Now it's getting close to the end of the month and Kevin's landlord is seriously threatening to kick him out. Well, Kevin, he decides, okay, you know what? I'm just going to pick up the Bible. So he picks up the Bible and he opens it. And when he opens it, guess what falls out of the Bible? Rent checks for the entire year from his mom. She placed them in his Bible. So Kevin calls his mom, says, Mom, I see what you did. You put all the rent checks in the Bible. Now, at this point, during the interview, Conan then asks Kevin, so did you actually read the Bible? You know what Kevin said? He replied, no, but I got the checks. You know, although Kevin got the money he needed the most, he actually, he missed out on getting the greatest treasure, and that is the Word of God. As I mentioned to you a moment ago, our biblical theme this year is called to counsel. And this morning, the question I want us to consider is this. Why do we do what we do? That is, what is underneath all our behaviors, attitudes, 
and actions. To put it this way, what makes us respond the way we do in hardships? What makes us respond the way we do when suffering? Or what makes us get angry or irritable? Or even more than that, why do we often give way to the same kind of sin over and over again? What I'm, the, the big question, what is underneath our behaviors, our attitudes, and our speech? Why do we do what we do? It's an important question, isn't it? It's an important question, especially if you're here this morning and you desire to change in some way, if you desire to grow in some way, if you desire to leave here better than when you entered. Why do we do what we do? Well, you know what? This is the question that the Lord Jesus Christ answers directly in our text this morning. And his answer is going to be our memory verse for the month of March. So if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. If you're in need of a Bible, we have one of those in the seat in front of you. That's page 863. There's, there's so much I want to glean from this text. That's why I've chosen to take a break from our study of 2 Samuel this week in order to give full attention to this passage. I also want to say uh, it's good to be back. Very thankful for Alex Tibbetts and the great job he did preaching last week. Can we give him appreciation for that? Thank you. You're doing all right, kid. <laughs> no, he's doing great, and I'm, we're so glad to have him. So thank you for serving so well. But as, as you're turning there to Luke chapter 6, let me just give you the context, okay? We learned this in Sunday school. Remember, context, 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 those of you there. Or discipleship hour. I learned this in discipleship hour. <laughs> um, today we're just going to look at two verses from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and that's Luke 6, verses 43 through 45. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best-known part of Jesus' teaching, though it is arguably the least understood, and it is certainly the least obeyed. It's the nearest thing we have to a manifesto that he ever uttered, for in it we learn his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and to do. And in the two verses we're going to look at this morning, Jesus directly answers this question, why do we do what we do? What's underneath it all? Okay? So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. Here now are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, 
produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Amen and amen. This is God's word. As some of you know, for several years, uh, I used to teach art classes. I taught students ranging from five years old all the way through seniors in high school. I taught the basic fundamentals of how to draw with depth as well as how to draw faces. And at the beginning of each semester, I'd have a classroom of, of kids. At the beginning of each semester, the first thing I'd have them do is I'd say, I want you to draw what you think a face looks like. First thing we're going to do. Because then we're going to chart your... So I want you to draw what you think a face looks like. And nine out of ten times, this is what the students would draw. Okay. <laughs> now, I want you to do something right now. Take a moment and look around this room. Have you ever seen anyone in the history of your life that looks like that? Yes or no? No. no. Yet, for some reason... This is the image the students would draw, okay? But you know what? In one sense, the image isn't that far off. Because you see, if I were to draw a picture of a person according to the Bible, they would actually look something like this. A body with a heart on its shoulders. Notice in the passage I just read, the Lord Jesus Christ clearly teaches that we live out of our hearts. In the Bible, the, the, you need to understand, the Bible is not just the, the heart, is not just the seat of the emotions. No, in Scripture, the heart is the mind, will, and emotions. In other words, the, your heart, it's the directional system of your life. It's your steering wheel. How many of you, how many of you have a smartphone? Right? Most of you? Think of it like this. Your heart is the operating system that runs the apps of your life. This is why if I were to illustrate your heart's relationship to the rest of your life, it would look just like this. The heart controls your life. And Jesus teaches you live out of your heart. Now, Sigmund Freud, Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, Carl Jung, B.F. Skinner, Eric Erickson, the fathers of modern psychology, they all taught you live out of your past or your subconscious. But that's not what Jesus teaches, is it? You see, if you were to have a therapy session with Jesus, if you came to Jesus with your problems, his first question would not be to you, tell me about your past. No, instead he would ask, what is the treasure of your heart? Because notice, Jesus makes it very clear that your heart is treasuring something. All of us in this room, there is something we are valuing and treasuring at the core of our being. And whatever that is, Jesus is teaching, 
It will guide and direct your life. You live out of the treasure of your heart. And here's the thing, okay? Your treasure can be anything. Your treasure is that which bears the most weight or importance in your life. It's what you value most. For example, it could be the respect of your spouse. It could be physical beauty. It could be money. Oftentimes, and please, and this is so important for us to understand, oftentimes the things we treasure are good things. And that's the problem. When good things become your treasure, bad things begin to happen. What I mean is, if you treasure and value something more than God, you have an evil treasure, and according to Jesus, that will produce evil. In fact, the best diagnostic question to ask, to know if you are treasuring or valuing something more than the Lord Jesus Christ is this. And we've, we've shared this before, but it's worth repeating, and that's this. What am I willing to sin in order to get or sin if I don't get? If you want to know if you have a treasure other than God, here's the question to ask. In this moment, what am I willing to sin in order to obtain or sin if I can't get it? I, I recently read about a woman who all she ever wanted in life was to be married and loved by a man. So one day she met a great guy, and they got married. However, she soon became frustrated and upset because he did not love her the way she wanted him to love her. In fact, she became angry and bitter towards him. She would try to manipulate him to get him to pay attention to her. And when that didn't work, she got angry. Now, all she ever wanted was to have her husband love her. Now, tell me, is it a bad thing for a wife to want her husband to love her? Is that a bad thing? No, of course not. But when it becomes all you ever want, then you have a problem. Having her husband love her, listen to me, became her treasure. She was willing to sin to get it and sin if she couldn't. It was her treasure and it produced the actions of bitterness, anger, and rage. And this is what Jesus is teaching. Your treasure determines your action. But for, on the contrast, when you are treasuring Christ, when his glory and his purposes bear the most weight in your heart, moment by moment, out of that abundance will come good fruit. So when my chief concern and greatest treasure is the Lord in honoring him, I will respond to the circumstances of life in ways that honor the Lord. 
Now, I just want to pause here for a moment, okay? Jesus is saying something that has radical, radical implications, okay? And I don't want us to miss this. You know, we, with our theme called the Council, we not only want to know the message of the Bible, but we want to know the methods of the Bible in regards to counseling one another, right? Well, here, here we see a really important message that is impacting our method. And I want you to notice what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, friends, your circumstances and difficulties do not make you say the things you say or do the things you do. Let me say that one more time. Your circumstances and difficulties do not make you say the things you say or do the things you do. If we're taking Jesus at his word, this means the slow driver in front of you does not make you angry. Your child's disobedience does not make you irritable. Your employee's Failure to do their job doesn't make you swear. No, according to Jesus, your heart does. You live out of your heart. You sin because in that moment, you are treasuring something more than God. And, and the best way to illustrate this principle is with the cup. For some of you, this, this might be review. You might be familiar with this. For others of you, this could be the first time you've heard this. Either way, it's worth repeating so we really absorb all that Christ is teaching here, okay? So you have this cup. I'm going to do something, and then I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Behold. <laughs> Let me watch. Here's my question. When I often ask, why is there water on the floor? Most people, 99% of the time, say, well, Aaron, uh, you seem a little dull. <laughs> but the reason why there's water on the floor, Aaron, is because you hit it with the cup. No. According to Jesus... The reason why there's water on the floor is because there's water in the cup. If orange juice was in the cup, orange juice would be on the floor. If nothing was in the cup, nothing would be on the floor. All me doing hitting the cup just revealed what's already in there. Faith, so it is with our hearts, and our circumstances. Lord, we pray for the kids. <laughs> and for the children. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so it is with our hearts or cups. All those circumstances, all those things, those people, all they're doing, according to Jesus, is they're hitting the cup of your heart 
and revealing what's already there. The circumstances and people in our lives do not make us say the things we say or do the things we do. All they do is tip the cup. So you know what this means? It means a lot of things. But one thing in particular this means is that for the married couples here, your spouse isn't the cause of your rude speech. To the, to the parents here, your children and their disobedience is not the reason why you burst out in anger. Nor is the solution to get away from those people and to have some me time or eliminate the toxic people in your life. Why? Because Jesus teaches they are not the cause of your behavior. All they're doing is hitting the cup. No, what makes you say and do the things you do, hate to hurt your feelings, <laughs> is you. More specifically, what your heart is treasuring. Listen carefully. Look again at what Jesus says there in verse 45. Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces what? Good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And then at the end of the verse, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your speech, your attitudes, your actions, they are all the fruit of what your heart is valuing and treasuring. As John Calvin said, in man, did he hit the nail on the head? It's very convicting. He says, the tongue exists to reveal our hearts. <laughs> now, just want to step back for a moment and ask a couple questions. Are we really to believe what Jesus is teaching in this passage. I mean, isn't Jesus at a disadvantage because Freud, Skinner, and Maslow have not made their observations yet? Isn't Jesus misguided in his counsel because cognitive behavioral therapy hasn't been developed and suggested yet? I mean, are we really to believe Jesus' diagnosis as to why we do what we do? I'm just going to take one more question here in a contrast. At the end of the day, do you know what psychology is? It's man's attempt to solve life's problems without God. I'm going to make all these observations about man without a biblical worldview, without God at the center, completely devoid of God. And I'm going to try to solve life's problems without God. 
Yet, Christian, consider what we have here in Scripture. In Scripture, we have the words of the wonderful counselor, God in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who made us, the one who formed us, who knows our minds, our hearts, who knows how we think, how we operate. And in these verses, the wonderful counselor gives us life-giving truth. He's telling us, you, you don't have to take an anagram test or a personality test to know why you do what you do. Jesus is telling us, you live out of the treasure of your heart. And I cannot overstate how important this truth is in regards to your growth as a Christian. Because so often, and I'm guilty of this, so often I focus on the fruit rather than the root of my behavior. What I mean is, I can tend to give the most energy in pruning sinful fruit off the tree of our lives, hoping, <laughs> hoping that the same sinful fruit doesn't come back. However, notice what Jesus teaches here. He says, a fig tree produces what? No matter how many times you trim off the figs, it's still going to produce what? Figs. So it is with our hearts and our treasures. If you have an evil treasure, you're going to keep producing evil fruit. But if you treasure Christ, that will produce Christ-like fruit. So here's now, let's go back to the million-dollar question. So how then do you change your behavior? Here, I believe, is the key principle Jesus is teaching, and that is to change your behavior, make Jesus your treasure. The good treasure is the one speaking these words. The reason why I struggle with anger, the reason why you struggle with anger, the reason why you say hurtful things, the reason why we fall into maybe the same sins over and over again is because at the end of the day, are there, are there factors to consider? Yes, there are. But at the end of the day, Jesus is boiling it down. It's because in the moment, in the moment, I'm treasuring something other than than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, for example, you know why a husband or a wife will say mean or hurtful things to their spouse? Because the thing they're treasuring is being threatened. And this is what I want us to, to see, faith. When you begin to value and treasure something other than Jesus Christ in your heart, one of the main consequences is this, and that is, you begin to dehumanize the people around you. People will turn either into a vehicle that helps you get what you want or an obstacle that gets in the way of what you want. Right? If this person is agreeable and they help me get what I ultimately want when I'm treasuring, I speak nicely and kindly to them. But if I have a spouse or a child or a coworker or a friend or an extended family member who's an obstacle and a roadblock from getting what I want, my mouth and my attitudes and actions will be mean towards them. I'll dehumanize them. Now let me give you an example. So a teenager who is valuing time with friends more than Jesus, this teenager will get angry and speak mean words to her parents who tell her, no, you can't go out tonight to be with your friends. 
What is that teenager doing? She is dehumanizing her parents. They're an obstacle that gets in the way of her treasure. Or a boss who is valuing things being done his way more than Jesus will rip his employees to shreds when they mess up and do things differently than him. Or the, the Christian woman who is valuing her personal kingdom more than Jesus will stop speaking to God so she will give him the cold shoulders because she's so mad that he's not giving her what she wants. But listen, telling yourself stop it isn't enough to change your behavior. No, to change your behavior, you must change your treasure. So here's the million-dollar question. How do we do that? Well, you change the treasure of your heart by doing three things. And I just want to say up front, these are not one-time things. But this is a lifetime practice of the Christian life. And the three things are confession, repentance, and worship. To change the treasure of your heart, you first need to confess your sin to God. You need to agree with God that your bad treasure is sin, even if it's a noble thing, like a noble thing to want your spouse to love you or, or some other kind of noble thing. For example, if you've been treasuring, and this, this, I'll be honest with you, this can be, this can be a treasure of mine. If you're treasuring comfort more than God, so much so that in your speech you're, you're angry to those who threaten your comfort, you need to not only confess that is sin to God, but, but not just the anger. So if, if I'm valuing, man, I'm really tired after Sunday morning, I just want to take a nap, that's all I want, and slowly on the car ride home, I'm thinking about taking that nap, I can't wait to get home, and suddenly this is becoming the treasure of my heart in the moment, and I get home and someone in my family threatens that, how do you think I'm going to respond? God bless you, my child. What do you need? <laughs> Is that what I'm going to say? No, I'm going to... Evil words are going to come out of mouth. Anger. In confession, I not only need to confess the angry words, but I also need to confess the sin beneath the sin. So it would be, God, I confess to you, I was angry at my family. And God, I was angry at my family because in the moment, I was treasuring me and my comfort more than you. Can I ask, have you ever done that? Have you ever had that kind of confession to the Lord? Where you not only confess the outward sin, but you then also confess the sin beneath the sin? If you want to experience genuine change and growth, we have to not only confess the sin, the presenting sin, if you will, but Whatever it is we're treasuring other than God, identify, oh man, I, I, make tre I make comfort a treasure more than Jesus. That's number one, confession. But then second, repentance. This means you, you make a conscience, intentional effort to break from sin. And faith, here's, I mean, here's the good news you find all over the pages of Scripture, and that is, God loves to forgive repentant sinners. 
What does he do? He runs out to meet the prodigal, right? So I turn from the treasure, I turn from the sinful actions. And then the third thing is worship. And by this, I don't simply mean just singing. So, um, how many of you like to work in the yard? Okay, good for you. Okay. Uh, 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 thankfully, I'm married to a woman who likes to work in the yard. So good for me, because I'm doing. And last summer, my wife took advantage. We had a string of several nice days to spruce up our landscaping. And with the help of our kids, uh, she got most of the landscaping back in shape, and it looked looks great. Well, while they were out working on the yard, there, there were some huge, tall weeds that needed to be pulled. And they were so big that the kids couldn't pull them up by themselves. Now, here's the deal with weeds. Tell me, if I just lop off a, a weed... <laughs> what, what's going to happen? It's going to go right back. Wait, if you want to get rid of a reed, what do you got to do? Pull it by its what? Its roots. And, and here's the other thing. You just can't pull the sucker up by the roots. You got to replace it with good soil or put sod or something down because something's going to fill in that space, right? So it is with our evil treasures, faith. You see, treasuring something other than God is just not a failure to obey God. It's setting of the whole heart on something besides God. And this cannot be remedied only by repenting or using willpower to change and live differently. Listen to me. Turning from an evil treasure is not less than those two things, but it's more in order to change your treasure, you need to replace that evil treasure with the worship of God. That is, you need to see Jesus for the glorious, satisfying Savior He truly is. You need to believe that He is indeed worthy of your whole life and devotion. Because, friend, listen to me. And I'll say this by experience. If you only uproot your evil treasure and fail to plant the worth and glory of Christ in its place, it won't be long before that evil treasure comes right back. And the way you grow in your worship of God is seeing just how glorious and worthy He is. I mean, just think of the language Jesus is using. Treasure. He's talking about we're making a, a, an evaluative claim. Jesus is worthy of my full devotion or comfort is worthy of my devotion in this moment. We need to replace the evil treasure with the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just consider this. Consider what the rest of the book of, of um, Luke records about Jesus. And this is, this is why, friend, this is why the Bible is such good news. Because although Jesus was perfect, he was, he was crucified as a criminal. Jesus was reviled. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was yelled at. Jesus was scorned. This is to say, in addition to 
physical suffering, Jesus received a huge amount of verbal abuse. Yet Christian, for your sake, Jesus did not revile in return. In fact, while on the cross, instead of speaking words of judgment and anger towards the sinful people who crucified him and hurled insults at him, what did Jesus say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they Forgive them? You see, faith, on the cross, you know what Jesus was doing? He was controlling his behavior and his tongue because you and I have not. This is what we mean when we say Jesus lived the perfect life you and I have failed to live. And we have failed to live it in regards to how we speak to one another and how we behave and act because at the end of the day, we have chosen to have an evil treasure. But Jesus went to the cross. He lived the perfect life we failed to live and he died the death we should have died as judgment for our sinful actions and speech and then Christ was raised to new life. So get a load of this. So we could be forgiven of our sins and we can hear the words of God the Father say when we pass into glory, welcome to heaven. Jesus endured scorn and did not sin so we could be forgiven of our sins. And I want you to pause for a moment. Friend, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? All of us in this room are banking on something to gain us entrance into heaven on the other side of death. You can either go to hell clinging to your own righteousness or you can receive the free gift of salvation offered in the Lord Jesus Christ and that is put your faith in what he has done on your behalf and you can go to heaven being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Which one have you chosen to do? Friend, if not, if you have not, I would plead with you, go all in putting your trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And for those who have, Christian, as your heart is satisfied in Christ, when you are living for him, your behavior will reflect your Savior. You know what's going to happen? Your speech will be seasoned with salt. If you walk into work on Monday morning valuing the worth and salvation you have in the Lord Jesus Christ, and one of your co-workers curses at you, or slanders you, if Christ is your treasure, and your cup is hit, the fruit of the Spirit's going to come out, not an evil action. When you go home this afternoon, and your spouse says something, or your children say something, or do something that upsets you, if they sin against you, if Christ is your treasure, you'll be like Christ. You will not revile in return. You live out of your heart. You live out of your heart. And this is where I just want to tighten the screws a little bit as a, as a church. And if we're going to be a community that takes counseling each other seriously, 
then we must begin to talk to each other about these truths. We need to be asking one another, what is your heart treasuring? And say in a loving way, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I know you're going through a hard time. But can I ask, is, could there be, is there something maybe you're treasuring more than Jesus Christ? Or, friend, is there something that you're willing to sin to get and sin if you don't? To encourage one another, let's purpose to delight in the Lord. And His great love for us, right? Kevin Hart got his rent checks, but he failed to receive the greatest treasure, and that is the life-giving words of Jesus. May we as a church esteem this book, believing all it teaches, obeying all it requires, and trusting all it promises. Amen? Let's pray.